0: Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Conversation. Uh, today, my guest is Ken Pitcher, who is the executive director of Refuge Rochester, a ministry established in 2018 to respond to a surge in refugees that has resulted in over 10,000 of them resettling in the Rochester area since the early 2000s. Refuge Rochester is a partner ministry with Browncroft Community Church and allows us and others to welcome and embrace those new residents in our city. With a background in overseas work in the Czech Republic, where he and his family were for many years doing mission work, um, serving and also as an elder at the Grace Road Church, great church here in Rochester, Ken is prepared well for this post that he is serving in now. Ken, welcome to the conversation.
1: Thank you. It's great to be
0: here. So there's a lot of discussion these days about um, immigration, of course, because I guess pol- for, pol- for, for political reasons it's been a big issue in the last two elections, probably in, in many, really, but certainly in the last two. But when we talk about refugees, I think these terms get confused. What is a, What's the difference? What is a, what, I should say, what is a refugee? How would you describe the answer to that question?
1: Well, yeah, a refugee is somebody who's had to leave their, where they live, unwillingly, many uh, for the most part. Like they, um, it wasn't something that they plan to do. An immigrant is somebody who comes, you know, it's maybe a doctor from India or a, you know, a, a technician in certain ways, and they're they're coming for the reason of a, usually for an employment reason or a family reunification so what the 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 term that you hear that is very similar actually is the same as refugee is asylum seeker okay it's all you hear that often in the news that an asylum seeker is somebody who comes to a country and at that border either whether that border is at an airport or like say on the u.s mexico border they present themselves to the government official and say I am unsafe in my country. I would uh, like to request uh, safety in your country. A refugee does that same step, but at a UN camp uh, somewhere else in the world. And then they start that asylum-seeking process from another country. An asylum seeker is somebody who comes right to the border. Mm.
0: So, And in, would you say it's it, if I'm a refugee versus, um, let's say, an immigrant, right, just someone like you, you first described someone who's coming from another country to go to school or maybe to, for an employment opportunity, is it, am I better off or more likely to be uh, to, to make it into the U.S. safely and or, I mean, um, be accepted to, to, to uh, live and work here if I'm one or the other, or is it kind of a mixed bag?
1: Well, the U.S. immigration system uh, and refugee resettlement you know, when it's put the those together, it, it is just, um, there's very few people who I would have read or listened to who would say they understand it or they're experts on it. It is a massive bureaucratic structure within mm-hmm. the country. So there, the number of types of visas, like you mentioned a student or someone coming, there, there's, a, there's multiple categories of student visas and there are multiple categories of work-related visas. Uh, there are visas for migrant farm workers, you know, mm. uh, and, and refugees is is a is a program that if you get into that program, uh, first of all, you enter that program under the United Nations, so you're in another country, and the United States sets a kind of a ceiling every year of how many they would like to receive that year. Okay, so um, your chances of getting um, coming to America as a refugee is determined upon how much, how many of the, ref- the United States would like to receive. And th- there are countries, there's about 35 countries around the world that make those agreements. And they'll say, we'll take this many, this many thousand or this many. Mm-hmm. So uh, every year there's uh, right now, there's about a s- little over 70 displaced, 70 million displaced people around the world. About roughly 25 to 30,000 of those are officially uh um, considered refugees within that UN refugee program and every year about about roughly one percent of those refugees are resettled in other countries so refugees very often if they fled their country like say Syria, they right now the country of Jordan and Lebanon have um, hundreds of thousands of refugees that left like five or six years ago right from. Yeah, and they they've not been able to resettle anywhere else because they're such a small percentage.
0: You know, I've never thought it. about this question in light of what you just said. When I think about the, um, so you might not know the answer to this, but the, uh, you know, the 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 Palestinian Jew, Israeli situation, and we, I know people have been living in refugee camps for right. for generations. Are there, are that is that a different category? or Are those considered?
1: No, no there there's a there are refugee settlements. In the country of say Lebanon, right, that are Palestinians, and there are people who have lived there that were born there, and they're in their 30s, wow. and they haven't been a they've been stateless people. That's another kind of terminology. Here, right. they are considered stateless people right now, and they've been that their whole life. And
0: so, in in in, in that in those um, camps are administered by the UN.
1: There are people who they'll they'll even get like a, a limited kind of work permit in some places. Interesting, uh, so that so that they can bring the, the, all the underground stuff up, up above ground. Um, yeah, the the, the the displaced population of the world is very fluid thing. Simply by people are fleeing and they're they're moving around.
0: Wow. So, right. Yeah. Wow. So why are, maybe you answered some of this, but um, why are refugees, I'm sure there's more than one answer, generally, though, displaced from their homes? I mean, is it generally political or some other kind yeah. of issue? And um, so that's the first question. What, 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 what's the primary reason they're displaced? And and how do some of them end up in Rochester, New York? Yeah,
1: yeah. They're... The, 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 the official definition is a refugee is somebody who's had to flee their residence due to either political or religious persecution, wars, or natural disasters. Okay. So, kind of wars and persecution are the biggie, and and the persecution either comes because they're a part of a um, an ethnic group, like you're seeing that
0: in Myanmar or uh, the, the right,
1: right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. yeah. Um, uh, or a political group, you'll see that in, like, say, Syria, the Civil War. Right, they're, of course, yep. Or uh Or simply because of a war. Like, <clears throat> um, right now, Saudi Arabia and Yemen are in, in a long-term conflict, and mm-hmm. it is hu- producing huge numbers of uh, refugees. So uh, that is why they'll leave, because okay. of those things. Uh, sometimes because of a natural disaster. We even see that in our own country, when there's a uh, a hurricane in New Orleans, you know, people moved to Houston,
0: Yeah, That's right.
1: Uh, So they would be considered displaced people. Uh, How they end up coming to Rochester is they will flee their country. They will approach a U.N. um, refugee center that the U.N. sets up in conjunction with, let's say, the government of Lebanon or the government of Kenya. And then they will go through a process where they will be vetted and tested for health issues, and then um, the the U.S. State Department, along with those other countries I mentioned, they will uh, interact with the UN High Council of Refugees, and uh, then the the, the UN will say this: these hundred thousand people that you said you'll take, they're going to come from these six, seven countries, and. And then um, the, the, here in uh, the U.S., there are seven agencies that then will interact with uh, the, the State Department, one okay. of which is Catholic Charities, okay. which is their branch is here in Rochester, Catholic Family Center. And Catholic Charities will say, we are able to take this percentage of that, or whatever see. percentage. We and then um, Catholic Charities will approach, like, say, their national We'll approach CFC and say, uh, this is person who has indicated they have some family in Rochester I or see. have this medical need and we feel that Rochester could help that. Do you have the capacity of receiving them? And then they come.
0: And so, so I've never thought about this until listening to you, but when, so the process happens as it happens. Um, the some the country the origin of country of origin or the one that ends up having these refugees maybe not even their origin of country of origin but they they make a deal with um, UNHCR or you know uh, ultimately to these um, agencies like uh, Catholic Charities which is a big one and then they finally do some you know individual vetting and. But once yeah. it comes down to, let's say, sending people here to Rochester, I've met people here from the South Sudan. I met people here from, you know, parts of, um, you know, India. I mean, uh, or let's say um, Myanmar. Uh, you know, various and sundry places. Okay. But um, yeah. do, does does the, do, do the receiving municipalities have any say in it? In other words. Even if CFC says good to go, they even have the money. Let's say to help people out, and it's you know people from the South Sudan, people from wherever they're from. Do they have to get any kind of permission, or does the like if I'm the mayor of Rochester, or does that have completely nothing to do with it? I just wonder.
1: Well, the, that's, that's an interesting question. Actually, the the Trump administration tried to uh, they they passed they uh, tried to get a, a policy through about two years ago that said. The only way that people would receive um, uh, refugees was if, like, governors and mayors and local municipalities would indicate that they wanted them. But they were going to assume you, that we, we, you don't want them, uh, unless you uh, uh, register that you would like refugees, Right. we're not sending refugees. Um, that was uh, blocked by different, different levels of federal court. I see. Um, but <clears throat> in light of that... Um, Usually municipalities don't have any say in it. Like Mayor Lovely Warren um, doesn't come out and say, I don't want refugees this year. Um, So usually almost very, very few places in the United States actually said they didn't want refugees.
0: I see. Okay.
1: During that season. um, because of how it's viewed as, it, it's it's been seen across the country as kind of like rejuvenating um,
0: communities. Well, I did know, and I don't know if you told me this story or not. I'm, I'm thinking maybe you did. But if not, I, maybe I heard this on a podcast or on the news that Buffalo, the city of Buffalo... The, they they had made some decisions. This might have been within the last ten years or more. I know they've had a uh, sort of a renaissance with the uh, with the Pagulas, et cetera. I mean, those of us who know this, the city of Buffalo has had its own renaissance, similar to the sort of Pittsburgh renaissance of the last uh, twenty or thirty years. But what I've heard, maybe it was on a on a um, local radio um, interview, that some of the local um, uh um you know municipality leaders there maybe the mayor they really leaned into the um the whole idea of of the um refugee population and they um did this you know built communities for them and, and the story basically said it's been a real economic win for the city of buffalo so yeah. i don't they, that might be a real exception to the rule but that was the reason the story was being told well, I-
1: I, if anybody is interested, they can also. Uh, there's a there's an article that's been out for probably four or five years now. Uh, just kind of somebody went to the city of Utica in New York, which was another kind of place that refugees were resettled here okay. in New York. Yeah. West. Yeah. And uh, if you just Google U- Utica and refugee resurgence, the, uh, there's an interesting article about. Really, the town of Utica, the city of Utica, experienced very, really the same thing. I'm pretty sure it was mostly Nepali people okay. that went. Yep. To eat. Okay. But there's been uh, since that time there's been a, a rising of new restaurants, new businesses, uh, schools have been kind of rejuvenated. Like yeah, so it's a good nice. thing.
0: So I mean, you think about the refugees that you've met, um, Ken, in your time, in the last at least two years but maybe five however long you've been actually t- working with them I know you, you were working with them before you launched um, Refuge Rochester but what are the challenges you know the, the how can you summarize the challenges that they face either when they leave their country I don't know if they mm-hmm. leave you know in the moment's notice if it's a war thing and the challenges they face when they land in a place like yeah. Rochester
1: yeah um well, I mean that's a that's a broad question. It's a great question. Um, I, uh, um, there's two families come to mind for me. One is a Syrian family that I met five years ago. Um, they uh, they actually lived close to the country of Kamish, uh, of uh, Turkey. Um, they're Kurdish, Kur- uh, Syrian Kurds, um, and so they're actually in that part of the the country where the country of Turkey just pushed back into recently. So their, their city was just once again bombed um, in the last year. Um, but they uh, they saw things kind of escalating and they were um, seeing, the, the, father, the dad was seeing like young men, like the age of his sons who were kind of being pulled into militia groups, sometimes mm-hmm. willingly, sometimes unwillingly. He's kind of going, um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, and then his daughter um, had a was walking down the street in this, the town that she was going to college in, and a, a mortar shell hit, and like thirty five people were killed about two three blocks away from her, and she saw bodies in the street, and so that's when they decided I, it's just getting it's just getting kind of all around us. Mm. So they they were over the border of Turkey, <clears throat> and um, he wasn't allowed he wasn't able to get a job there. Um, he actually has some relatives in Turkey who are also Kurdish, which Turkey has a large, large Kurdish population. But his three kids who were under 21, all three were able to get a job in like a clothes making factory where they ended up working like 12 or 14 hours a day. And he's just like, I don't want my 14 year old working 14 hours a day, which he was allowed to do. So he he continued to apply for the, uh, Refugee status at a UN camp, um, and after two years, he was alive, he was resettled in Rochester. Wow. So, so his was a more of a gradual thing. Um, but I also think about a uh, uh, an African family from the Democratic Republic of the Congo that I met um, probably like three years ago um, through my work with Catholic Family Center. They were just newly resettled here. And I helped them go, I helped the mom, her husband and oldest sons, they they weren't necessarily sure where they were at the time, uh, because of the Civil War that had happened. But she had, uh, I think, six or seven children with her. Um, And I thought they were all her kids. But after a while, I was asked if I would help her kind of navigate, get her to the uh, family court downtown. And she was, they asked, they wanted her to go through the official uh, process of becoming a foster parent of her nephew, who was one of those seven kids. And I got to read through her story. And what happened was during the time that her village was attacked, her sister was uh, like a town over at a wedding and they, they, she just had to grab the kids that were at her home, which one of them was her nephew. I see that evening, she got him into a, a the back of a truck with a bunch of other people, work, and they drove to the next country. Um, and she has spent the last two three years with her nephew, and I'm not sure if they know where his mom is. So she just basically adopted her nephew because he was at her house while her his mom was at a wedding, and.
0: But in in her case, it sounds like, and maybe this is not atypical. Whatever crisis happened, you know, she just you know threw a bag into the car and off they go.
1: Yeah, it's my nephew's here, with us. He's not going home, but we're all getting in this truck and we're going to Kenya. You know, which is the next country over. And,
0: and you take what you can, and that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah they grab it. Uh, it was just a few hours'
0: time. Wow.
1: Uh, and she had her nephew happened to be separated from his parents. But was at her house, so now he's lived with her since that day. So. so
0: back back to your numbers real quick, you said displaced people. Would you say 70 million? Is that the number you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I, that number is rough out there so right now. a rough number of 70 million that would even include those in the Lebanese uh, refugee camp, right? So some of these people have been, so the people actually on the move every year is probably a little bit different, but 70 million, that's a lot of people. And then what right. percentage of those people, regular, let's say on a year, if you know the number, maybe you already said it, actually become refugees into, let's say, a resettled in an area like the United States?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, the the UN has classified around twenty five to thirty million. So less than half of that I fully see. displaced are in the refugee system of the UN okay. all around the world. Okay, uh, and then um, so about one percent of those. Uh, so, like this year in the in in the in the United States, I believe that we have resettled about eight thousand refugees. Wow. Uh, so he'd take eight thousand out of twenty five million right. or seventy. And part of that was because of the uh, the pandemic.
0: Right, um, of course. Right.
1: But also it's because over the last four years the, right. the US has really, really been kind of anti
0: refugee. So backing up before, let's say, the last four years, just you know, in the good old days of five years ago or whatever, um, what what uh what was the um generally speaking the u.s is in the top three the top country uh, where, where does the u.s fall
1: yeah the u.s uh up until 2017 uh received more refugees than any other country in the world it was the it was the global leader on how the communities can respond so the u.s received anywhere between 75 and 95 thousand um refugees a year okay. uh but that, that number was on average. like the, for President Obama's final year, because of the civil war in Syria, the United States received 110,000 people that year. So when you see the number of 8,000 this year, you can see kind of the difference wow. between yeah. just five, five years. So.
0: And, and who's the number two and three and four? Like Germany, yeah. or who's next?
1: Canada was Canada? considered two, and now Canada as the US has kind of pulled out of that, Canada is now the number one country in the world as wow. far
0: as interesting.
1: Um, another big country is Germany, Australia, yeah. uh, Great Britain. Okay um, yes. actually right now the the, the, the countries that have there's there's that they call it the refugee highway. There's kind of this global highway that people get on when they flee their country. Um, the countries with the highest number of refugees in the world, and they are people that are they, those countries are trying to see: can we absorb them? How many of these can we absorb, and the rest we, we have they have to go somewhere. Uh, that's the country of Turkey, Bangladesh, uh, Kenya, um, Lebanon, and Jordan. Those five countries are, are they, they have just thousands thousands of refugees. Some of them end up staying there, but the majority of them, they say, we just... Like the country of Lebanon, I believe, like, one out of five people in that country are refugees. Uh, those that are that from, seems
0: so interesting to me in the sense of not only Lebanon, but Bangladesh. I would think that's a country that you would be fleeing from, not fleeing to, from what I mean. I, oh, there's
1: they're Myanmar. It's uh, uh, about 700,000 uh, of those are... are from are, Myanmar. Yeah, Rohingya Muslims.
0: It's, I see. That's
1: both countries, what they have in common is that they are close to those countries where conflicts are happening.
0: Makes sense. Like in so, Kenya, it's close, what, Congo or something?
1: Yeah. Democratic yeah. Coast, Congo, yeah. Sudan, Somalia. I You'll see people places right there. Rwanda, there's still
0: some Rwanda. I see. British. Makes sense.
1: So, and that's why those countries, they, they have to have the UN come in, because they as countries can,
0: can't... do it. Can't, yeah, You know? Right. So... Um, Maybe the big question uh, for this time is—is is speaking of you. I mean, you. I know. I know you uh, as a missionary to the Czech Republic. I mean, for many years, very, very distinct um, calling. You know, to yeah. go to this um, European country and uh, learn the language as you did, and and serve in a very, um, you know, focused way um, as a missionary. You know, how did you end up? In this work, how did you end up growing a heart for refugees?
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, it's been quite a journey, which I'm really uh, I'm really grateful for. Um, but Andrea and I, we came back with our kids in from Europe in 2009. I think it was 2010, 2009, uh, just because we felt it was time. We had uh, our our kids were at an age where we wanted them to get ready to leave home we felt the work that we were doing in Czech Republic was ready to go on without us. Mm -hmm. Um, so I came back and like you mentioned in the introduction, I got involved with, uh, grace road. Mm Um, um, I got, I I began to work for a a friend's company a a medical equipment company, which I, which is great company, um, just to kind of pay the bills and get my kids through college. Um, but in the midst of that, um, like I, I met my uh, one, one evening I took, um, I had to stop by a home of a family that came from Syria that, that had not become my dear friends. Um, mm. I went into an apartment and, um, there was only one person that spoke English and all the women had scarves on their heads and, uh, clearly nobody was American. Um, so I, we just, I sat and had tea with them and, um, uh, began to just learn more about it. So, I, at that time, that was five years ago, um, even a, even the leadership of Grace Road, I, I, I was kind of helping Grace, uh, Grace Road as a church kind of move out into the community a little more. So I just decided, I, I began to just, anytime I heard about any refugees, I just began to go and see if I could meet folks. Mm. Um, I was introduced to several pastors from both the Congo uh, and Nepal and Burma.
0: That were refugees? Uh, just,
1: yeah, they yeah. came here as refugees, and, um, you know, Browncroft has a history with some of those through uh, through yep. Um He got involved in the Nepali community. But just to kind of move, just kind of, uh, I, I I kind of describe it as I spent about two years just kind of walking around the community. Um, my The friends I met from Syria, they mentioned two or, two, two or three kind of agencies that... Um, that had helped them at different times. So I just went down and said, can I meet with somebody at this agency and just hear what you do and see what you do? And um, One of the things that happened early um, is I I began to meet all kinds of people, Americans in Rochester that were involved with the refugee population, but I I, I didn't sense that I was meeting too many evangelical Christians. It was before I met, like, say, David Boulevard or... Right, right. Eric Wood or right. other folks from right. And I remember I, I, I went to spend an evening with an agency on Dewey it's called um, it doesn't matter, but I went to hear about, I went. I heard about that they were tutoring people to get their GED certification, people didn't graduate from high school from other countries. So I went there and they were tutoring. Uh, I went into this room and there was about probably seven or eight women all from Africa at just different computers. And there were all the volunteers were Mormon missionaries. Interesting. Um, and I was like, hey, that's, you know, that's great. You know, <laughs> <I'm glad laughs> that these people are getting tour, uh, tutored. But I went out to my car and I just sat there and prayed for a few minutes. And I thought about, I knew of uh, probably four or five evangelical churches within a very sh- small distance of that location. Right. <laughs> and I I said God I, I just um, I don't know what you want to do, but I'd love I, I, I'm not I'm not assuming all these people are going to become Mormons but and I'm not assuming if there were Christians there they'd all become Christians but right. I sure would love for those people to meet some Christians, you know, some evangelicals. So soon after that I met Dave I met some folks from Browncroft mm-hmm. and um, it, things kept going from there. So I began to just sense that God was saying, uh, see if you can step into this void, and see if churches will join that. And a number of people said, "If you do, we'll join you, yeah, and we'll we'll come along with you." But you're going to need to take that step. So,
0: but here's here's my question. You know, when you when you you had just talked about this great story about um, what really moved you, and was another another um, you know uh, impetus for you to think harder about this calling when you when you walked into that center there in Dewey Avenue. But my, and then you talked about churches. I know you you were working with Grace Road, but um, you know uh, today, um, let's fast forward to 2020. And I know you know, despite the the smaller numbers because of the political changes in our in uh, refugee and the coronavirus, of course. But how are the Rochester churches doing relative to Refuge Rochester? In other words, you have you don't have to say the names, but you know you have one supporting churches, you have seven. Nine, how are we doing?
1: Well, um, there's probably about uh, somewhere between twenty and twenty five churches that we're engaging with regularly. I go and teach there, or we've we've done different programs for them. Um, probably the financial partnership has been with like I, I don't know. It's I have looked at numbers like somewhere between seven and ten. Okay. You know, some monthly, some regularly, some quarterly, okay. some time. You know. Um, but we also just have a number of, uh, individuals from right. their, their, they, we, we go to their church, but then their, their church kind of just, uh, doesn't officially get on, but they just
0: they allow. encourage they you pray. and your, yeah. and people support you. And of those 25, the first number you mentioned, let's say, is it across the board? I mean, you know, uh, uh, evangelical, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Protestant, Catholic, et cetera.
1: Well, it's, it's uh, all evangelical. Like, all okay, uh, Yeah, yeah. And it's it'll go from uh, Methodist, um, independent, uh, yep. uh, slightly charismatic, okay. maybe a little more charismatic. Okay.
0: Uh, Baptist, probably, uh, I'm sure. A
1: couple Baptists. Yep. Uh, yep. So some that are uh, ethnic. Uh, okay. We, we, we really work closely with some of the, some of those churches, those pastors I met, yeah. some that are kind of liturgical, like yeah. the, some of like Episcop, uh, Anglican yep. or some well, of those are uh, Lutheran, are, are very, uh, you know, hmm.
0: so. So and another question, when I think about some of these folks, um, people who end up maybe, you know, living in Rochester long-term, right? I mean, I'm talking about the refugees. Is it, um, you know, um, do, do, I know in some cases, Gulshan, who, for those listening, Gulshan Lal, who is a um, Rochesterian now, but, you know, born and raised in India and has been a, a friend and missionary and uh, here at Browncroft and has his own missionary organization that runs um, Asian uh, Concerns International and does work in India. But he, um, I know for a while there was so many Nepalese refugees, you mentioned that a few minutes ago that they spun up their own church, which I assume is more um, unusual. I could be wrong. In other words, most refugees don't spin up their own church, I'm guessing. So maybe yeah. you correct me if I'm wrong, but then the rest of them, whether they're from the South Sudan or they're from Syria or they're from, you know, various other places um, if they become Christians, right, that's, as you say, not every, uh, maybe even only a small percentage do, but that's certainly uh, part of your work, to help them, to love them, and to, and to point them to Jesus. Um, how successful is it to get them integrated, you know, in, uh, in these, you know, American churches?
1: Uh, well, they actually in the initial, usually the initial group that comes, it is actually quite common for them to form a, a church of their own. Okay. Um, uh, all across Rochester, there are, um, you, you know, you just take the country of Myanmar. Okay. okay? I, I think in the country of Myanmar, there's like 35 different languages spoken. Right. So right here in Rochester, there are, I know off the top of my head four Burmese churches, and they all speak two languages. And one of the reasons why they form their own, um, like there's a Burmese Baptist church that I've spoken at several times, and they in that church speak two languages. And so when somebody gives a um, sermon, a testimony, right, they'll 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 have the person they'll have somebody translate it into the other language. So, what, but when I preach in English, they'll have somebody up front doing one language and somebody in the back on some headphones doing in the other language.
0: Isn't that. Certain? So,
1: for, for the adult population that comes in, they, um, they most, and this happens all over the country, they will form a church so that they can kind of continue to grow in their own language. They just, it's for somebody who's 35, never spoken English, it's kind of mm. the, the ability to go to an uh, English speaking church and grow and fellowship is pretty limited. However, their youth and children um, in, in that Burmese church I was just talking about—all their kids who speak different languages—the only common language they have is English. So right. uh, you hear all the kids speaking English together
0: okay. because they
1: don't speak each other's language at home. That's right. That uh, so they like they or look they they do their Sunday school in English mm-hmm. in that Burmese. church. <laughs> so, Interesting. Uh, and, but even, even, um, there's another church, um, a, a Russian speaking church here in Rochester that meets in, uh, a building on Winton, uh, a Baptist church. And the, those two churches, uh, do their youth programs together because the, the Russian speaking youth, uh, um, speak English at their schools, like they go to English speaking school. Mm. So they, uh, um, so, the, so the parents worship um, in Russian. Mm. Kids go to a school and youth group uh, with this American church that they kind of share a building. Mm. So they, it happens many, many times. Mm. So, although there is a church, there is a church down in the city called um, Heart and Soul Community Church. It's on. Um, oh yeah, I
0: know uh, a Louis Cologne.
1: Is yeah, that right? yeah, they yep, I yeah, Lewis. Louis Cologne, They have a Sudanese population in their church. Interesting, uh, and I didn't they, know that. Really integrated into their church. That's wonderful. Um, they speak. Uh, they're from a. Uh, they speak a language called Uduk. Uh, it's a. It's a specific particular people group in the Sudan. And they came. They they are they're a Christian minority in Sudan. So they came here. They were already Christians. They were looking for a Christian church.
0: Wow. So. so um... One of my last questions for you, is should be obvious, but uh, we we should ask it, why should we, whoever's listening to us, if you're a Christian or even if not, but why should we care about these refugees? And if we do, um, what can we do about them, for them?
1: Well, there's a few reasons why. One is that um, you know, we, we talk about it whenever we teach somewhere. Jesus, how, how Jesus talked about I was a stranger and you welcomed me, right. and all all throughout the Scripture, God uh, he takes the side of a foreigner. If you look throughout the Old Testament, very very often um, he takes the he, he he really identifies with foreigners. Mm-hmm. He says to the people of Israel, because you were foreigners yourself, okay. you know what it's like to be. A foreigner. Um. But the second reason why—I mean, so so—there's a biblical reason, but there's also even a theological reason. Um, I would say, and that is because we believe in the sovereignty of God. Like mm-hmm. when I when I saw all those women, well, saw all those folks from Africa getting tutored, I, I went out and I said, like, the only reason they're here is because God in His sovereignty guided them through this whole right. process, and they grew up in Rochester. Right. So we we know that God mm-hmm. determines the places and the times of people. And right. so I have to say God brings, he has a reason for bringing some of these people here mm. and very often he has something for us. Like mm. all my African brothers who've come here, mm. I've been challenged to how I view my own, um, physical possessions, right. my personal possessions by my African brothers. Right. They just view it very, differently, you know, mm. um, Letting them drive my car would be something they would absolutely do. Right. If I was, if I had to go to their country and I was there as an outsider, you know. So God has something. He, he is behind it all. He has something for us, and He always takes the side of the poor.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 interesting. You say this whole sovereignty of God, and He brings them to us, and it's for us. I mean, this is the one of the great mysteries of. The faith you know it's it's more blessed to give than to receive and the whole idea that god is but you mentioned the name dave bovard who is a personal friend so i know dave but you know he is someone whose life has been and i've known dave you know back and he was a law enforcement you know professional for many many years that was his career and he was not someone and i don't think he'd be He'd probably smile if he heard me say it, you know, someone who would be thoughtful, thought of as someone who'd be devoting his life to refugees. That wasn't his yeah. sort of style, or at least that wasn't his interest. He was a law enforcement um, leader in the law enforcement world. But um, talk about a life change. I mean, I think he would say to you um, that it's it's changed his life. It's given him great joy, and it's like a, it's been a, a, a huge um, calling and for some years, and so it's just one story, but it makes your point that you know uh, God is, uh, uh, you know, it's it, it. almost reminds me of the, um, you know, the Matthew twenty, uh, is it Matthew twenty five? You know, you know, uh, in in, uh, in in the in the least of these, um, that's where you're going to find me, kind of thing. You know, right, right, right. You
1: yeah, know, like they, there's been, you know, you you mentioned like uh, the story of Buffalo and the the resurgence they felt with that, like. If you Google like, um, if you do a search on a uh, company, U- U.S. companies founded by immigrants, um, how um, mm. how did the whole country has been right. benefited by right. uh, maybe not those first to come, but like right. the um, yeah. Uh, so how, so I would say you, you take a biblical story like the uh, Daniel, you know, who became a political leader right. and.
0: Uh, Babylon. Babylon. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um Just think of the blessing that that country received because right. God brought His people there. You mm-hmm.
0: know. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, um, so, but how? Um, I, I would say if somebody would like to, yeah. How uh, do we get involved?
0: Up, yeah. Someone listening to me, some, you know, many people know, uh, not everybody, but many people know of who you are, and, and Browncroft anyway, but I mean, for someone who's listening who doesn't, they've never heard of Refuge Rochester, and they want to get involved in this ministry, what would they do?
1: They could just go to refugerochester.com, and they could just fill out a contact form for us there, and we'll get back to them. We have a, we have a program that we like to take people into, it's called our New Neighbor Program. Uh, where we take uh, individual families and we introduce them to uh, a refugee family. Like we just had somebody from the Rochester Chinese Christian Church that we uh, introduced to someone from Myanmar. That's another one of the churches that we work with. Uh, and they're just having a great time together. Um, they're both Asian background and um, great. have... The Chinese family has worked through English. But we've also just, we, we've uh, uh, connected some folks from some different churches with some people from uh, Afghanistan, from uh, some of the Burmese or Congolese families. Um, gen- often, um, refugees, when they come, they'll, they'll get a lot of support right in the beginning, and they'll meet some uh, Americans, but very, very seldom do they actually develop friendships with Americans. So mm. we're trying, you've seen that from the Browncroft refugee ministry. Some of the the, the folks that David Bovard and yeah. all those folks, they, they've remained friends up until this time, right. you know, for years, right. you know, um, yeah, but, which great. but that is kind of the exception, you know. Yeah. So... Trying to see, can we take what happened with, with, with you know, my friendship with the Syrian family,
0: right.
1: and all the things we saw with the Browncroft ministry, yeah. and see, see that happen more, like yeah. long friendships develop. So, right. so we would, like, we it's it's a we, we, we do some training. We have to do a criminal background check because of our agreement with uh, Catholic Family Center, yep. um, but we we can help some folks along with meeting. It's been, it's been a little tough this year because of the pandemic, of
0: course, yeah.
1: but we're hoping as it goes forward that yeah. we'll be able to, uh, yeah.
0: And is your hope uh, beyond the pandemic, which of course is, you know, uh, limiting uh, lots of movement in general, um, but is um, that things will get better relative to refugees? I mean, you know, uh, in the uh, in the next administration, or is there? Who knows? Maybe it's too early to say.
1: Yeah. Well, it's the 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 whole. The whole structure that we described of people getting vetted over in Africa or Lebanon or those kind of places, that's been kind of really put on hold because of the pandemic. So it's going to take some time to get the system back up and going. But right. it looks like the new administration would like to um, play a bigger role in um, mm-hmm. responding to the global refugee crisis. So, yeah. yeah. So, And generally, over the past, the city of Rochester has received about 1% of all the refugees that come into the U.S., which is pretty significant.
0: Yeah, that is interesting, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, as a city. Um, So it's a a Western New York, you take Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester, uh, I believe it's the second highest, second or third highest concentration of refugees in the U.S. Why is that, do you know? Well, I think because when you take those three cities, they they've been very friendly to refugee right. resettlement. There's been over the course of these 10, 15, 20 years.
0: Interesting. Uh,
1: you know, you, you can meet people in the Muslim community here from that were resettled as refugees from Bosnia back in like the 90s.
0: Right. You know. Mm-hmm.
1: So these cities in western New York they're receiving like Vietnamese back in like the 80s, Bosnians, yep. you know, that right. all those like Sudanese, Somalians, all those like long-term Afghanis, you know, so over, you know, you take that over the course of the years and those four cities, Utica, Syracuse, Buffalo are combined and that's very, very high percentage of refugees in relation to the rest of the country. That's great.
0: I didn't know that. Well, yeah. Ken, Ken, thank you so much for the time. Uh, you're you're a friend to to me, a friend to our church. So we'll see you more. But thank you for the time because we, we want to get this message out. We want to we want Ro- we want Browncroft. We want to be for Rochester. We want to be for um, the refugee population. And I loved your story about the um, – you know those ladies at the uh, at the training center, and 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 what I'm going to walk away with is, you know, God has something here for us. Yes, of mm-hmm. course, we want to be responsible to. You know to love the stranger and just to love the, the, the someone who doesn't know Jesus, but I mean the stranger uh, that you quoted there from, you know the book of Deuteronomy or whatever. I mean that this is this is our call. The book of Leviticus, we are to be, of course, the the Sermon on the Mount. I mean we're to be salt and light in this world, and um, and and we know the Church of Jesus Christ is ultimately headed to a you know. Multi-ethnic, multinational, yeah. you know, multilingual—you um, know—a uh, party, um, and that God wants us to be a part of uh, building that. So um, we look forward to talking more with you and, and getting more involved. Yeah. But thanks for the work that you do.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you,
0: uh, friends. Thank you for uh, listening to this uh, this uh, episode of the conversation. Look forward to uh, uh, continuing the conversation soon.